thought about organizing my homily around uh, sort of a list of things. It would be something along the lines of, you might be missing your wedding garment if. Uh, and I thought that might very quickly turn into something that would be cheeky and fun to um, maybe more tragic and sad. Uh, and we don't want to try and avoid that as best we can in homilies. And frankly, let's be honest, it's kind of is a tragic and sad moment for that guy who is recognized to be more or less, well, actually not more or less, completely without his wedding garment. Makes you sort of wonder and maybe even get a little nervous in your shoes. What's it mean to be in the midst of the wedding feast? Here we are. And missing a wedding garment. The last thing I want is for my Lord, my King, my Savior, to enter into my own life and come up to me and somehow find something to be lacking. Because something is lacking in the heart of that man, the man who's not dressed in a wedding garment. The first reading gives us a little bit of a, of a hint. He says, The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face, the reproach of his people he will remove. The reproach of his people he will remove from the whole earth. The Lord has spoken. And on that day it will be said, Behold our God, to whom we look to save us. This is the Lord for whom we looked. Let us rejoice and be glad that he has saved us. Let us rejoice and be glad that he has saved us. I mean, who doesn't rejoice that God has saved us from our sin, from all of our faults, all the things that, in fact, keep us down? Well... Maybe we should stop and think about that again. Do we rejoice in the fact that my God has saved me from my sin? Do I rejoice in the fact, do I even recognize the fact that my sin is something, well, tragic and sad? My sin is something awful. My sin is something that, in fact, keeps me totally and completely apart from my God. Do I see the depths of evil and awfulness that my sin offers to me. So often we don't, do we? So often we find a lot of pleasure and joy even. It can't be, it can't be real joy. But so often we see a lot of, well, I don't know, we, we, we kind of place our hope and our trust in these things that just bring us pleasure. These things that are somehow contrary to the way that God has made us and completely apart, as it were, from our purpose and our goal in life. So this is our, the Lord for whom we look. Let us rejoice and be glad that he has saved us. You know, I can't rejoice, can't rejoice in my salvation if I don't recognize on some level the need for my salvation. If I enter into my relationship with God as, uh, well, one who already is assured of his own salvation, well, good luck, Right? I enter into my relationship with God as sort of a, I don't know, I consider him a tyrant on some level. Someone who makes me do all this stuff I don't want to do. Boring, right? All that kind of stuff. How is it that I'm going to be able to rejoice in the goodness of my God? How is it that I'm going to be able to rejoice in what God has done for me? And so while the church oftentimes gets a bad rap for having to call out sin or even for being very clear about what sin is and what sin isn't. A lot of people, especially, uh, I think, in the modern world, as we proclaim these things very loudly, look at the church and say, who are you? Who are you to tell me what's right and 
what's wrong. It's, it's, we don't like to have to look at the fact that in so many ways we have turned away from our God. And so this is why St. Paul will say uh, the law as it is, meaning as we like delineate very clearly what is right and what is wrong, that's, that's meant for, well, for sinners, right? That's meant for folks who need to be reminded, whose, whose consciences need to be pricked a little bit to be able to recognize that, hey, look, whatever you're doing isn't good. And it's also then an invitation to faith, an, inv- an invitation to recognize that that, okay, well, maybe I have sinned in the past. The sin is totally and completely done away with. And thanks be to God for that. Like, I don't have to try anymore to, 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 to get rid of my sin. Our Lord has taken care of that completely. What a beautiful and amazing reason to be able to rejoice, even within the context of the church. Isn't it easy to have that attitude? I've got to keep on trying to get rid of my sin. I'm just going to be a poor sinner for the whole rest of, until the whole rest of my life. Sounds like an awful way to live out my faith. Sounds like an awful way to be a Catholic. There's a reason that oftentimes, even within, again, the body of, excuse me, the body of Christ, the church, we can drag each other down rather than build each other up. We can accuse each other and call out a bunch of sinners out there instead of recognizing first and foremost the forgiveness of my sin and the joy of what it means to be a son or daughter of God Most High. Again, Catholics get a bad rap sometimes for uh, enjoying too much, of, too much of the good things of life. And okay, maybe sometimes we do enjoy too much of the good things of life, something that uh, needs to be recognized as, as not according to what God asks. And yet, the other extreme is to take away all the joy of life and be like totally stoic or say that, that the good things that God has created are inherently evil or wrong. I mean, God doesn't say that. I mean, there's a reason he makes, what is it, like 160 gallons of wine at the wedding feast at Cana? Okay. But here we are, our Lord wanting us to rejoice in the good things that he's given. If heaven itself, I mean, it's ultimately what the wedding feast is, okay, so if heaven itself is supposed to be infinitely joyful. Like, because of the goodness of God and the union that we have with Him in heaven, shouldn't the journey also be filled with joy? Because there's a sense in which I know where I'm going. I know what I'm seeking. And while I do know, there's always that sort of reality in the back of my mind that I could throw it all away. I mean, here's this guy in, in the wedding feast who gets tossed out. Sure, I could throw it all away, fine. Just because I've accepted my Lord doesn't mean that I, that I can't reject him later. It's a temporal reality that we live in. Fine. Just because that reality is there doesn't mean I shouldn't look, look forward, look ahead to God, to my union, my total and complete union with God in heaven with a confident hope in him. That even if I happen to face plant once or twice or even every day, my God and my Savior is right there to pick me up again to encourage me and to challenge me and to bring me back to himself. See, those little faults, those little daily things, sometimes I look at God and I say, thanks, but no thanks. Those are moments for our own humility, aren't they? Ways in which I can recognize the fact that maybe I'm not one of the good who's invited. Maybe I'm one of the bad. Isn't that what it says? 
The servants went out into the streets. They gathered all they found, the bad and the good alike. And the hall was filled with guests. Maybe I am one of the good people, whatever that means. Maybe I'm one of the bad people, whatever that means. I don't know, but I'm here in the wedding feast. Because we know that the body of Christ, especially the Mass, is that foretaste of heaven. It's what prefigures the eternal joy of union with God, because we're about to receive Him and to be united with Him in Holy Communion. And so here I am. Maybe the temptation is to look around the church and say, what's that, what's that guy doing here? really doesn't deserve to be here. Maybe the temptation is to look around and say, that person is like really holy and I'm not so holy. Our Lord isn't worried about those things in this very moment. He has our whole life to work those things out in us and with us and through us. And he's very patient with us. And he, he does, he will work those things out within us. The first thing, the, the most important thing, is that I've accepted that invitation to the wedding feast. And I've recognized the fact that, let's be honest, how does he say it here again? He said, those who were invited were not worthy to come. I wasn't part of the initial invitation. See, like, the implication is that the ones he invited first, the ones who ignore him and go off to their farm, off to their business and whatever, and those even who laid hold of his servants and mistreat them and kill them, those were the ones who were worthy to come. I wasn't part of that invitation. So clearly, like, I wasn't worthy to show up here at the wedding feast at the beginning. Maybe I'm still not worthy. That's fine. He invited me anyway. So here I am, whether I'm part of the good, good crowd or the bad crowd, our Lord has had mercy on me. And he's invited me into this wedding feast, and all I get to do is give thanks to God. Don't, don't raise your hands, but how many of you watched the royal wedding a couple years ago? People who got up at like 3 a.m. or whatever time it was, right? I didn't watch it for the record. But what a desire that people had to be part of something grand and great. How many of you would have been extremely flattered to be invited to the royal wedding? I mean, wow, what, a, what an honor and privilege. It's a fascinating and amazing sort of thing. But we, like, we focus so much, even as a, as, as a country, on that amusingly, as America like, rejected king and all that kind of stuff, and we do our own thing with democracy. Still has this attraction to having a king, queen. And we, we do. We do have a king. His name is God himself, our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the king of the universe. We'll celebrate that in a few weeks at the end of November, that feast. And here I am invited to the, to the wedding feast, the wedding and the wedding feast of his son. How amazing is that? How fantastic is that? I didn't deserve that invitation, and yet here I am. So today, we have this opportunity to kind of, kind of recognize the only real thing I could say, I guess, you might be missing your wedding garment if... You might be missing your wedding garment if you're just sad. If I let the sadness of the human plight of things get in the way of the joy of my redemption, I really should be joyful. I really should, joy, should be joyful that my God has redeemed me. So we can spend all day and say, okay, why am I not? Fine. But if you notice that in your own heart... If you notice the sadness about all the things that are weighing down upon you, maybe a sadness that, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not good enough, I'm just, again, I'm just, a, just a poor sinner who's trying to make it. Get rid of that thought. 
Get rid of those things. It's not useful for us. Instead, I focus on the victory of my God, the joy of my redemption, the joy of the victory that Christ has definitively won and has, and has held out to me. That's the faith that I want to proclaim to the world. We know that it's challenging in certain ways to live, our, to live out our faith, countercultural in all kinds of ways. The rest of the world, I mean, like, that's hard enough for the rest of the world to accept, right, and to enter into. If I add an extra layer of it, a layer on top of that and make it, again, sad and boring and awful and all of the above, there's no way I'm going to be able to offer a joyful redemption to all my brothers and sisters who are missing out on the goodness and the victory of God my Savior. So again, if that's a part of my own heart, if it's a part of my own life, make the resolution right now. Let's get rid of that. Come to our Lord with a joyful heart, with a grateful heart, a heart that accepts and completely embraces the victory that he's won.